So Money episode 1598, The Art and Science to Making Life's Big Decisions with best-selling author Stacey Ennis. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. I find that people think they have to like suffer a lot before they get these big opportunities. It's like, I have to pay all of these dues. I need to develop all of this. Where I actually think that, here's the thing, I trust myself enough to know that if I get an opportunity, I'm going to deliver on it. That might mean I have a lot of extra learning to do. It might mean I need some mentorship. It might mean I need to hire a coach or get some support with my team, for example. But I trust myself. I trust my ability to deliver on the things that I commit to. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. I have an incredible guest here with us today who is going to open up about many of her life's big, hard, exciting decisions, how she makes these decisions, the calculations, and how we can apply some of this thinking when at our own crossroads in life. Stacey Ennis is a best-selling author, book coach, and speaker on a mission to help leaders clarify their ideas and harness their unique story to make an impact. Her background includes ghostwriting for a Nobel Prize winner in medicine, leading as executive editor of Sam's Club Healthy Living Made Simple, a publication that reaches around 11 million readers. Her best-selling book, co-written with Ron Price, is entitled Growing Influence, a story of how to lead with character, expertise, and impact. Stacy is also a TEDx speaker and the host of Beyond Better, a podcast that explores how to create a business and a life that you love. With Stacy, we're going to explore how she thinks about big choices in her life, her choice to live internationally and be location independent with her husband and two children. Today, they reside in Portugal. How to leverage success and turn the seed of something great into something even bigger. Her definition of living a life that is beyond better, even if that means disapproval, going against culture. I really enjoyed this one, and I think you will too. Here's Stacy Ennis. Stacey Ennis, welcome to So Money. Thank you so much for having me, Farnoosh. I I love having guests on, and you're an example of this, who demonstrate so many different talents, so many different ways of thinking that I think are interesting to our audience. And if there was a theme for this show, I think it would be something around your ability to make really good decisions, hard good decisions, your decision to move to Portugal, for example, and be location independent, your decision to become a, an entrepreneur who focuses on supporting authors and you're an author yourself and how you do that, right? Especially because these are, these are really challenging, pivotal, requires not just courage, but probably other things too. I'm really enjoying your podcast as well, and I want to get into the themes there that you focus on, which is this idea around building a a better life, uh, not just better, but beyond better, and how you defined beyond better and how we can, in these times when it feels like we're just trying to keep head above water most days, 
how we can strive for beyond better. So really excited to dive into all of this with you. First of all, though, I know a lot about Stacey Ennis, the professional, the entrepreneur, the successful best-selling author, but take me back before all of that, before you started to make these really big jumps and leaps in your career and making these hard choices, these hard, exciting choices. Where, where were you in your, say, early 20s, mid 20s? So I grew up in uh, Boise, Idaho, and uh, that upbringing was very kind of basic suburban American, like everything you think of, of, of growing up in suburbia. And at the age of 23, uh, my husband, well, my then boyfriend, future fiance uh, and future husband moved to the Dominican Republic. So I graduated my undergrad. We took jobs in the Dominican Republic. And so at that age, it was such a formative age for me. I was kind of plucked out of this very homogenous place that I'd always known. I'd never really traveled much. I think I went to Canada once and on a cruise to Baja, Mexico, um, but otherwise was all just within the continental U.S. And suddenly at this, in my young 20s, I'm now living in the Caribbean. I am running a high school English department I had never taught before. Um, And I'm really just kind of thrust into this very new life. And I changed a lot. I really kind of inherently changed. Um, My values still remained, but I began to open up and see the world in new and different ways. From there, we then moved to Vietnam. And uh, that was just a totally different world going from Caribbean culture into now Southeast Asian culture um, and kind of navigating this new place that we were living in. It was all very exciting, all very fun, uh, but it also taught me a lot about... um, both adventure and bravery, but also human suffering. That was not something I had ever experienced firsthand before. I had never been in a developing country at all, let alone lived in one. Now we've lived in three. Um, And so for me, that was important because it helped me see beyond this kind of box that I grew up in and really develop empathy and a view of my place in the world rather than just my place in American culture. And so that's really been kind of a springboard for for everything I do now. Was your family supportive in, at 23 to move to the Dominican Republic? I'm thinking my parents, it was hard enough to convince them I wanted to come to New York from Massachusetts. Uh, so the I thought of leaving the country, how did that sit with your family? They were not happy at all. And it was compounded by the fact that I was meant to go to graduate school. So I actually turned down a couple of full funding offers and Went to, went to the Dominican Republic instead of graduate school. So they were not very happy about that. I did eventually loop back around and go to graduate school. So I made them, I made them happy in that regard. Um, at the time that I lived in the Dominican Republic, it was ranked the number one most dangerous country in the world for foreigners. And this was because of the mortality rate for foreigners in the country. Um, and so I think they had really real concerns when I moved. Um, but of course, being 23... What did they know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to circle back to this later because for listeners, you know, maybe you're you're not at a crossroads where you're like, I want to move to another country. And but I think we've all been or will be in in circumstances where we're going to make choices in our lives that won't sit well with people close to our close to us, whether that's family, it could just be cultural expectations. And uh, later, as you will share about, you know, 
moving full time to Portugal, I, I kind of want to know how you managed to reconcile with that because that's not a small thing. As much as we want to be like, we're independent, we can make our own choices, but family is family. And although um, we can even have differences with our family members, I think it's hard to break from at least just that expectation, whether it's cultural or familial. So I can kind of see where moving, you've had an early experience with it. You flexed the muscle. What prompted the move to Vietnam and then these other foreign countries? Well, we moved to Vietnam. A lot of it was because of safety. I mean, we had um, already been held up at gunpoint. My husband had been chased by a, a gang one night. Yes. Oh my we goodness. were chased in a car, like tra- a taxi driver tried to run us down in his car. I mean, we had all these crazy situations um, happening where we were living. And so it just became to the point where I just didn't feel safe there anymore. And I wanted to go somewhere else. So we, we were thinking, where could we go? That's very safe. And Southeast Asia generally is a very safe place. It was amazing to be able to just walk freely around by myself living in Vietnam and to just feel completely safe. It was absolutely incredible. But, you know, before we even moved, I had no desire to do this. It was really my, my fiance boyfriend, at the time, um, and we met during our our college during a college literary theory class, um, and he had just returned from this typical college guy six week backpacking trip in Southeast Asia, and uh, he had planned to return to Asia right after he graduated, which was going to be in a few months. And in this very dramatic three months of our dating relationship, you know, we thought he was going to leave, and it was all so dramatic leading up to his departure. And he decided to stay with me on this agreement that he would get his graduate degree, I would finish my bachelor's, and then we would we would leave after that. And then I think having then lived in those couple of countries, we had this itch to continue exploring, continue really seeing the world and traveling. But we had a bit of a pause. We came back to the U.S. for eight years to go to graduate school, to have babies. And it was really interesting that time because we weren't unencumbered. We didn't, you know, we couldn't just up and go with no responsibilities. We had young children. And so that was a whole different experience moving abroad with our family, first to Thailand and then to where we are today in Portugal. Having a good partner in all of this seems imperative. The fact that you found somebody so young that was on the same page with you in terms of, and you with him uh, in terms, seems like he was the one that was sort of more aggressively about this in the beginning. Your advice for others in terms of like making sure you're with the right person. Hey, marriage is hard no matter which way you look at it. And certainly moving to all these different countries together has had its fair share of challenges. But I do feel like we really pressure tested our relationship. We dated for three and a half years before we got married and we lived in all these different locations together. Um, The thing that I'll say about my husband that I feel is unique about him is he's really kind of given his his life to our family. And that's really what his world is. It's riding his bicycle and (laughs) being with our family. Um, and obviously when we were younger, he was, we were both teachers, he was working, but he's been home now with our kids for nearly 11 years. So that has enabled us to have the location independence, which is such an important piece. And that to your earlier point is connected to having a business, having that 
flexibility and, and um, freedom of choice. I think to me, that's the most important piece is location independence means that it doesn't mean that you're going to move to Thailand. It means you can. It means you could go spend a few months in Europe if you want to. It means you you can adjust your schedule as needed or your location as needed. So there's a lot a lot to that piece. And we've both been very in sync. I think it, it can be difficult for couples who, you know, they're not on the same wavelength, but fortunately we, we have been all along. How did the big decision of you running a business and your husband being more of a full-time caregiver, how did that decision manifest? That's another big decision. I think that couples may, um, have be challenged by just because maybe it's not what their expectation was going into the relationship or culturally, again, that's not what they see as the norm and that's something that they have to address. So how did that decision come, come about? Yeah, it's it's such an interesting topic because I mean, you've, you've written about with having a female breadwinner in the family and um, where we're from in the Northwest, it's a very, uh, Christian community, which means that there are certain gender roles within the community that we were raised in. Um, And certainly while my parents are very supportive, I was raised within a community that taught me that I should stay home with my children. That was the the narrative that I was given from the time I was very small um, up until I had my kids. And for us, part of it was pure financials. I mean, we looked at my husband's possibility as a teacher and my possibility as a business owner. And um, we had a nanny for, I think, the first five months of our daughter's life. And it was just horrible. We were struggling. We, I don't know, I have so much respect for people that are able to manage two careers, but for us, it was just not working. And um, so we just decided to put faith in me um, because I, you know, we, we looked at the numbers, we thought through it and we could see that there was a lot more potential if we really leaned into my business versus trying to split our time, energy and attention. And I think the other piece of it is that he really leaned into that. There was no, um, he's never been one to feel anything about him taking this role or some sense of insecurity about it. He's just very anchored in who he is. And so even though, frankly, we have gotten a lot of passive aggressive comments or little judgments or little things here and there. Um, what's the worst thing ev- someone said to you? What's the, what's the most annoying thing? Oh, I think it's, it's the eyebrow raise. When I say my, my husband stays home, they're like, Hmm, you know, they, they like, they don't believe it. Um, it's interesting, though, because we've moved so much, people always assume that my husband is military. This is the first assumption they always make. Mm-hmm. So we, we've we had a lot of those, you know, in our life of just having to look at what we want, what our vision is, and make our own decisions based on what we want for our life, not what other people tell us we should want. Yeah. And that takes more than courage. I think it takes a lot of compassion which might be a surprising word to use in this context, because at least for me, what I, I at some point you just have to make peace with it because it will um, derail you and it will consume you. I mean, for me, becoming the breadwinner in our marriage, like you, I, I deal with a lot of eyebrow raises and side comments. And what I came to realize is that 
yeah, what I'm doing is com- comparatively foreign to them. And I, it's not my job to try to change their worldview, but, um, I can have a little compassion for their lack of experience, lack of worldliness, lack of ability to be flexible and like a little bit more open-minded. They are who they are and I am who I am. And that's that's where we're going to leave it. And it's not that I'm going to not like these people. It's just that actually I'm just going to have I'm going to try to have more compassion for them and and for where what they're experiencing. You know, this isn't about me. This is about them. It's about their inability to to sort of see um a, a different way of living. A lot yeah. of times when people reject you, it's because they're questioning their own decisions. It's a threat. It's, it feels like threatening to their own choices in life, which they have thought for so long was the right way. I'm using air quotes. And so here you are performing something different and seemingly happy and it's rocking their world <laughs> in some really tough ways. And that's for them to deal with. You did a recent podcast on Beyond Better about your four years so far in Portugal. I'm not surprised now to hear that you decided to move there, but what made you stay? I know too that there are a couple of challenges as your children are getting older. One is education and the other is healthcare. So with those two important factors, things not working out perfectly necessarily in those areas, how have you decided again to make this a longer term venture? Yeah, it's interesting because we never came here with that intention and, you know, actually to your earlier point on um, making good choices, we made a, a bad choice before we moved to Portugal. We moved to Thailand and we thought this was going to be our place. We thought this was going to be the destination where we would stay for a while and really um, have a, a, good, a good life there. And it just turned out to be a really difficult, um, really, really hard year in Thailand. And so... For us, I think one of the anchors that has really helped us is some wisdom a mentor of mine gave, which is you make a choice and then you make another one. There's always freedom to make the next choice. I felt that to be so freeing. So when we were in Thailand, we had um, another hospitalization for our child. We'd had so many since we moved. And my husband and I looked at each other and we said, we chose to move here we can choose to move somewhere else. And so we cast a wide net. We were looking for a place that was safe, affordable, family-friendly, a place that was in a region of the world that we hadn't lived before because we wanted to explore a new part of the world. Um, Had good cycling, because I mentioned my husband's a cyclist, close to an international airport so that for my work. And uh, we started with Spain and we ended up with Portugal. Um, for a lot of reasons I could happily dig into if you want regarding taxes and visas and, and other things like that. But the short of it is we, we had landed on Portugal and we moved to the south. So Portugal is in three core regions. You have Porto in the north, which is a little colder and rainier. You have Lisbon in kind of the middle. That's the largest city. It's what most people know. And then you have the Algarve in the south and we're in the western Algarve. It's sunny. It's Europe's vacation destination. So all the Brits come here. Um, A lot of people from around Europe come here to vacation. And um, what we found living here is kind of beyond, I think, what we ever had hoped for in a place. It has really become home to us. It's become a place that is such a good counterbalance for me. I'm a naturally type A uh, personality. And we live in this little laid back beach town. 
So for me, it's such a great balance and it enables me to have a little bit more of a slow, peaceful life. There's a lot of cultural elements that are really complementary for me. A lot of people shut down their businesses for one to two months per year. I did that this year, actually shut down for one month because I'm like, hey, everybody else is doing it. Why can't I do that too? Um, the food here is amazing. We order from a local farmer and pick up all our produce on Saturdays. We're very connected to our food chain. We're wasting a lot less. Um, the beach is a mile and a half from us. I mean, we have just so many great things. There are challenges for sure, but right now on the whole, we're really happy. And so I don't foresee us leaving in anywhere in the near future, at least. Mm. Um, you said it's a blessing and a curse having so much choice in this episode that you did around um, your move to Portugal. You have, it sounds like a very st stable life, which as parents is very, very important. It's almost, it almost trumps all. And so you mentioned there were some challenges. What are, what are some of the challenges, but how are you seeing these challenges not as so much of a big deal because you have um, some of these other benefits? Well, to your point earlier, it's a lot easier to, you know, have a, well, you didn't say that it's easier to live this path that's laid out for you. But when you were mentioning people feeling a little bit threatened or like you're kind of um, by making different choices, it causes them to question their own choices or to feel insecure. I, I think there is so much ease in this. I've been raised in this place. I will send my kids to this school you know, that, that everything is contained and all of my decisions have been kind of made by the location that I, that I live in, um, by this path that I'm following. And I have many wonderful friends who are living that path that was set out for me who are very happy. And I think when you make a conscious decision um, and you have awareness around this path that's been laid out for me and I'm choosing to go down that, it's a very different thing than kind of having blinders on and not recognizing that you are defaulting versus choosing, making a choice. But the thing that's that's hard about choice is that choice is endless. And I said earlier, you make a choice and then you make another one. Sometimes you get to that point where you, you have to stop the choice in some scenarios because you can keep second guessing, questioning. You have so much flexibility and choice-making power that sometimes it can be difficult to just kind of accept where you are, be content right. with where you are. And that's something I've definitely had to navigate for us right now. We're really struggling with, we love where we live. We're so happy. We have friends, we love our town, but currently there is not a good secondary school system that's close to us. There are many that are 45 minutes from our house, um, but that is a real issue. And then the other issue that we're facing in our region specifically is that the pediatric care has been disappearing across the entire region. Um, it's been a problem since we first moved here and it's just gotten worse. It's not getting better. So those are some things that we keep asking ourselves. Our life is so good. We have these few things. They're very important. Um, but do we give up this really good life, move to a new location, and maybe we have these two things, but what if we then lose all of these other things that are so good about the life we have? Mm -hmm. That's a really hard thing to weigh because you these are 
unknown. You can't, you can't know until you live it. Yeah. But, you know, I would offer that things like lifestyle and friendships, that is to an extent something you can control more than a lack of resources. Like if there's no, if there's no school or a hospital or pediatric care like that, you can't just, you cannot control that. Right. So, so for us, I feel like we, um, you know, even with our move from the city to the suburb, 13 miles away, not exactly an ocean uh, like you and your husband have. But even that was hard because, again, we loved living in Brooklyn. We loved the community, the build, the walkability. the And those are not small things. I mean, I uh, will say it contributed to our health and our mental health and our physical health. And um, it was very sad to leave. There were, there were lots of tears. But what we ultimately anchored our decision in, in moving to the suburbs of New Jersey, is that it was going to be effectively better for our kids because of the school system. Our kids, one of my, one of my kids has ADHD. And so it was just, you know, do we want to keep throwing money at these problems? Which in New York, you can, because there's always a financial solution to everything in New York City. But no, because we were tapped out <laughs> and we wanted to leave some money for other things. And so we made a location decision anchored in our, uh, our need for resources that were just not flexible in, in, in where we were. And maybe I could have navigated the New York City public school system. And I was really worried about culture here and I was worried about friends and and I said, let's just move somewhere where we at least know one person and not, you know, a completely different place. I can start with one person and move from there, build my network from that person. But um, I, I, as just, I'm just saying this to maybe encourage you that the, the life that you have built, yes, is based on some, perhaps some of the exposure and the community that you have currently in your town. But you will be who you are in the next town and you will attract similar things in the next town. You will attract similar energy and people and community. Those things are more flexible, I think, than, you know, public resources. I think those are all such good points. I mean, and we've definitely demonstrated that over many cities and countries. So it's a really good thing to anchor into. What's interesting in this decision-making process is I've, I'm asking the question of, look, what are resources and what do we need for our children? And so there's the structural resources, the infrastructure resources, like right schools and medicine, but then there's the natural resources. We live in um, one of the most beautiful natural places in the world, and we have endless trails and all of this outdoor uh, opportunity in some of the freshest air you've ever breathed. So there's so much that we're considering that would not be the same if we were to move to what we're looking at right now, which is outside of Lisbon. So you, I 100%. And it's interesting because those are things that I wouldn't have even thought about until we were here. They weren't right. things that I had in my in my uh, point of consideration until we experienced it. So it's mm. it's it's an interesting place to be, and it does make it more complicated to have choice. Um, but all the things that you just talked through, I I hope that helps somebody who's thinking through their own decision making because you could have just said well, this is where we are and that's that and we'll just figure it out. But you you did, and this is what we did as well. You looked at the kind of life that you want to have for your children and for your family and you made a location decision to get to that life. That's what we've done as well. I think it's such an important thing to anchor to. 
Yeah, location is so important. And guess what? You said you can always make another choice. We we came in with that mindset too, that we're going to move here and it could not work out. And we're going to be ready to make another choice if we have to. And we're already thinking ahead as you know, our children get older and leave the nest. Are we going to stay here? Probably not. I don't know. It's sort of like 4060 at this point. I'm looking back at New York and, and really uh, reminiscing and thinking, well, we should go back to a metropolitan area. But you know, your decision to move to Portugal and then any foreign country, just really quick for anyone who's like living in the States and going, yeah, but language barrier and how am I even going to get a visa and how would I, how would I even begin to find work? Um, as an entrepreneur, it's a little different, the path and probably a little easier, but um, what's sort of your <laughs> your container come back to that? Because I think those are the biggest immediate question marks people have about moving abroad is like, how would I even make that work from a language perspective, from a job perspective, from a technical visa perspective? You know, it's, it's hard. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make it sound like it's just a simple thing to pick up and move to a brand new country. Um, And I encourage anyone who has that, you know, inner longing, this, this part of themselves that's like, maybe, maybe this would be an exciting adventure for me to just sit down and put some logic to it. When you create a plan for yourself and you execute that plan, it becomes much simpler. So what we did, we had been talking for years about moving to Thailand. And uh, finally, one day, my husband and I just looked at each other and we're like, we are so tired of talking about this. Let's just set a date and uh, we'll announce it to our family and that'll be that and we'll start working toward it. So we set a date 18 months out from from that date. We had a whole thing with my we had my parents over, had a like slide up on the, the television um, and announced this to them. And that made it real. That was really important because when it was just between us, it wasn't out there in the world. So we set this date and then I took all of the normal project planning skills that I bring to anything. I set the timeline, I organized the things that I needed to do, and then I started executing on that plan. And then I, I got help. So we hired an attorney to support us in our visas, our immigration. That was really, really important and money very well spent. I highly recommend getting legal support. Mm-hmm. Um, language, yeah, I mean, sure. But remember, other countries, people speak five languages. We just don't learn any others in the United States. So language can be learned. It's like any other skill. You have to put effort and energy into it, but you can learn it. You can also consider moving to a country that has a high tourist population. Generally, there's a lot of English there, so you don't have as much of a real need to learn the language, although I think you should personally for respect to the area. Um, There's a lot of things that will be areas that you will have to sort out and figure out, but everything is possible to figure out. It's just a matter of doing the research and executing it and treating it like a a real goal that you have. Nothing like a good deck. I love I love making a PowerPoint or a, a Google slide. It just puts it, it makes it real. It makes it makes it real. It makes your dreams come true. Um, I love that. I love that story. It reminds me of, oh gosh, who was the actress? Emma Stone. She was trying to convince her parents that 
you know, she should pursue acting and they should move to LA for her goals. And she made a PowerPoint. <laughs> I love they're that. Like, okay. What an, what an ad for PowerPoint. I want to shift gears a little bit to your career. As I'm reading your bio, I'm like, oh my gosh, this woman has done incredible work. Uh, you have uh, built this multifaceted business. You yourself, a best-selling author. You also help other authors as a book coach, and you also are a speaker. The books that you have uh, written or co-written, audience, check this out. Stacy's background includes ghostwriting for a Nobel Prize winner in medicine and leading as executive editor of the Sam's Club Healthy Living Made Simple publication, which reaches 11 million readers. That's more than I think most publications, <laughs> I will say confidently. And you have a best-selling book that you co-wrote with Ron Price called Growing Influence, a story of how to lead with character, expertise, and impact. You're also a TEDx speaker, and we've mentioned your podcast, Beyond Better. I was listening to the podcast, and you were talking a little bit about, on a recent episode, the uh, definition of success that you carry in, throughout your work and, and how, I think this is important because success is so, we, we tend to create a roadmap for ourselves towards success that is sort of just someone else's roadmap. Like we, try, we love to copy paste success roadmaps. Like that person, I want to do what they did, those same things. Yeah, that's me. But of course, that doesn't always work. And I, I think everyone should have an individual definition. And it's important to know what it is because for me, and we've talked about this offline, like it really anchors the decisions I make in my career, why I do the things I do and the things that I don't do, especially. And you define success as first discipline and consistency. Got to agree with that. Showing up, doing the work. And I love this part. The other piece you say is leveraging the successes that you do have to create more abundance and opportunity for yourself. Let's focus on that. And maybe through this definition, you can talk a little bit about how you've built the business that you have. Like what was the seed of success for you that you've now leveraged over and over again to build this multifaceted, rich, rich company? It's interesting looking back because I'm sure for your own career, Farnoosh, it's, if only it were just this nice, simple, clean path that you could offer up and oh say, gosh. oh, it's just from here to there. The I think the, the core defining factor, and this has been true in my work and in my life choices, has been I'm the person that puts my hand up and goes for things even when I am terrified. Um, and so I think an example, Sam's Club um, magazine is a great example. I ran that magazine when I was 27, 27 years old. And I got in as a proofreader and proved myself as I kind of rose up. And when an opportunity came up, um, I put my hand up and I said, hey, I can do that. Even though, you know, objectively looking at my resume, I didn't look like somebody who should have that job. But I had proved, proven myself. I had gone for opportunities. I'd done the work. I hustled really, really hard early in my career. I think it's really important to have a point in your career where you really switch over to balance um, mm -hmm. because some people, I think, hustle for way too long and end up missing out on a lot of life. But certainly in the early, early years of my career, I, I hustled very, very hard. Um, and I really sought to not only go after the opportunities, but also really develop my expertise in a 
in kind of the official route. So that's why I went through my master's degree in writing and editing alongside all this professional experience because I've always sought to be the best at what I do to really develop to my fullness and and really kind of reach where I can reach. Um, and I think that's all well and good. But if you don't raise your hand, if you don't make the introduction, if you don't make the ask or put yourself out there and maybe get a little embarrassed sometimes, uh, you're going to miss out on those really cool opportunities. And then when you do get some of those cool opportunities, you have to really leverage the heck out of them. You need to show them. So as an example, before I got hired into the Sam's Club publication, I helped uh, found a regional magazine. And uh, I was invited to be managing editor, had no experience. I should not have been but I did a really good job with that. And I was able to take this beautiful uh, magazine that I helped produce. And I brought that in when I went to go put my name in for this opportunity at, at that publication. And then I was able to leverage that publication to get opportunities with some other future opportunities. So sometimes you also have to toot your own horn a little bit. Oh, yeah. and you, you have to be your biggest advocate because who else is going to do it for you? No, and even the little things that may not seem important, well, they're not even little things. They're very important, but we sort of, we undervalue them. Like even in your bio, you say, Sam's Club, the magazine, the publication reached 11 million readers. That's an important bio tidbit, right? Because that's what our society values. That's what, and, and rightfully so. I mean, we want to work with the best and that labels you as somebody who's at the top of her game. Like you were given that position. I also want to say that when you're talking about leveraging and being your biggest advocate and raising your hand for opportunities, I think that there is something in you that might even be just in your DNA. I don't know, but you're very, would you say this is true? I think this is true of you, that you're able to spot those opportunities to know they're leverage worthy ahead of time you see things differently. Whereas those who were not raising their hands, how are they looking at that opportunity differently than you? Maybe it wasn't their goal to become an editor, get it. But maybe they were like, oh, it's going to be a lot of hours. Oh, I don't know if I'm ready. And they're also not thinking, "How I'll do this for six months or a year. And guess what's going to happen after that? Something 10 steps higher because this is a real pillar. Um, do you feel like you have that sixth sense to know when things are right because they're going to be easily leveraged? And how do you know? I'm, I'm sure I've um, spent a lot of time on projects that, you know, didn't pan out the way that I hoped they would uh, <laughs> many, many over the years. Um, but I, you said something important and I think you said something like I'm not, I don't have enough experience. And what I've found, I'm curious if you've seen this too, but I find that people think they have to like suffer a lot before they get these big opportunities. It's like, I have to pay all of these dues. I need to develop oh, yeah. all of this where I actually think that well, here's the thing. I trust myself enough to know that if I get an opportunity, I'm going to deliver on it. That might mean I have a lot of extra learning to do. It might mean I need some mentorship. It might mean I need to hire a coach or get some support with my team, for example, but I trust myself. I trust my ability to deliver on the things that I commit to. And I, I believe in that so strongly that I have said yes to 
so many things that I had no business saying yes to. And those ended up being some of the most important experiences of my entire life and career. This whole paying dues BS is mostly a virus within the female working community. I've never, I mean, Steven Spielberg, I was just watching his documentary. Now, granted, he has been, he he was a child prodigy in film. Like he got his first camera at 12 or 13 and started making great films. But the head, I was watching the documentary, the head of a network, when he was only like 19 or 20, he gave him a two-year contract or something and was like, just work and make the, and direct these TV shows that I'm putting out. And men get to fast track all the time. And women, I remember I had a boss, in fact, uh, at Money Magazine. So I'm taking us back to like 2002, 2001. And I was an assistant and she was a top editor. And there was this guy who was my classmate actually from Columbia, a journalism student, who was working in the building and really, really, really wanted to work at our Ed Money magazine. He was working at a different magazine. And he would come into the newsroom because, you know, he could. He was in the building and like schmooze and he would drop off his resume and he would try to get appointments. He would call me and say, hey, can I get lunch with your boss? Like this is how I don't know what's the word. Like just gutsy this guy was. It's like aggressive. It's aggressive. And my editor was like, who does he think he is? He needs to pay his dues. Well, a few years later, I saw his byline in the New York Times. And he was writing consistently for the business section of the New York Times. So he got somewhere. And you know who got in his way? The only person who ever got in his way was another woman who was trying to inflict on him probably the same BS she was heard, she was given, she had heard growing up in her career, that you need to, quote unquote, pay your dues. And so I will never forget that. And I even too was sort of like, yeah, who does he think he is? But um, I was inspired ultimately by his hustle because opportunities are not going to wait for you. You have to seize them. So of all the books that you've written, what's been the most What's the word I want to use here? What's been the most challenging and why? Oh, hmm. honestly, it's probably the book I'm working on right now, but not in a bad way. It's uh, I'm working on a book right now about building location independence for your family. And in the past, all of the books that I've written have been um, either I've collaborated with somebody. So the last book that I published was co-written. And it was such a fun, joyful experience because it's a business fable and that's so fun to write. Then my first book that came out was about book editing. So that's just a, a how-to. It's it's simple in that in that sense. And I think this book that I'm working on is so connected to my personal story that um, it's it's challenging in the all of the things that I have worked through as a writer over all of these years. And I've, you know, I've personally written ghostwritten or authored 17 books. I've contributed to more than a hundred. I have worked through so many of those writing gremlins that get in your head and stop you from writing. I publish regularly on my blog. I write for, I contribute all the time, but something about working on my own story and sharing the vulnerability of that story, which I bet you can relate to with your most recent book is really challenging. And I have had to almost rework through some of the things that I have already solved as a writer. Um, re kind of, I guess, like pump myself up a little bit, <laughs> have to navigate some of that inner critic and um, second guessing and questioning and 
all of those pieces. So yeah, I think, I think this is my next greatest challenge, but I hope that that means it's going to be the best one yet. I think it will. Do you have a working title? Beyond Better is what oh. I'm doing. How to build location independence for your family. All right. Last question. How do you define beyond better? As I said in the beginning of the show, it's hard enough to just get out of bed some days. How do you define beyond better? You know, I think about our earlier conversation of, you know, we're often on a default path and what we're seeking is a life that's better than our parents. This is what a lot of people are really seeking for in their life. They want to do as well or ideally better than their parents. What I'm suggesting is that we think beyond that, that we really deeply to connect to our own vision for our lives, for the lifestyle we want, for the location we want, for the experiences we want. And we open ourselves up to the possibility that you could live a very, very different life than the one that you do right now. And that that could actually be really, really amazing. I like that. That's so true. It's just like, that's the benchmark. Just do better than mom or dad. They say that the millennials are the first generation that won't. So maybe you need to find a new definition of success. If we're just focused on the money too, that's the that's the part that's making news right now is that the millennials won't, won't have as much net worth as their parents on average because of everything that's going on. But that doesn't mean you can't have a more meaningful, interesting life. Yeah. I heard your recent episode um, with Tiffany, the budgetista. Yes. So that was really interesting. Um, and this is where I would really encourage listeners to be willing to really kind of put aside the life that you have right now and really dream from a fresh mindset, like a beginner's mindset of what would my life look like if, because to your point, I think right now there's a lot going on in the U.S., not only with inflation, with housing, with um, crime, with all kinds of yeah, yeah ten, political tension. There's so many things going going on there. And for us, what we've found is we were able to leave and create this whole new life where uh, we actually don't have to deal with a lot of that. And we're living a really peaceful, a beautiful life in a totally different place. It's nothing like what I, you know, I had this specific vision and it's turned out a little different than this very specific vision. Um, but I, I have to be open to readjustment and to shifting. And I would just encourage people to be open to that, to consider that your life could look could look different than it does today. And, and maybe that would be a truly incredible next journey for you. Stacey Ennis, thank you for hanging out with us. As one of your podcast listeners said, because I went down a real deep rabbit hole on your show, uh, in your reviews, they said Stacy is like the person you meet at the dinner party, you get home and you're like, I could have listened and talked to her forever. <laughs> and I feel the same. And I think our listeners do too. Thank you so much. Um, tell us where we can learn more about you and follow you. And if you don't say Instagram, I'm going to be really mad because your Instagram is on fire right now. You have some crazy, really, really fun stories. Well, fun slash, uh, well, you, you'll find out, listeners. <laughs> yeah. Farnish, this has been such a treat. I've been listening to your podcast for, I don't know how many years at this point. I really admire your work. So I'm I'm honored to get to be here and to talk with you. Yes, I'm on Instagram at Stacey Ennis. You can learn more about me at StaceyEnnis.com. And I do book coaching. So I work with people one-on-one -on -one and I run a group program. I'll be running my next cohort in January. I would love to connect with you on social or reach out to me. Hello at StaceyEnnis.com. 
thank you so much again to Stacy Ennis for joining us. Her website is stacyennis.com. I'll put some links in our show notes so that you can find her. And like I said, her Instagram is a good one. I'll see you back here on Friday for a fresh episode of Ask Farnoosh. It's not too late to send in your questions. You can direct message me on Instagram. You can email me, farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com. Until then, I hope your day is so money. Money.